What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 229 of the DFS Dose podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we are going to continue through the journey of our positional rankings. Last week, we started off with quarterbacks. You can find that in this podcast feed. And today, we begin running backs. Obviously, there are too many to get done in one episode, so this will be a two-parter today. We're going to look at the top 24. On Wednesday, we are going to go back and finish up the rest of the running back rankings before... Joey, we get into any of that good stuff. There was an interesting story that popped up on Twitter this morning regarding Zach Wilson, starting quarterback for the New York Jets. Yeah, so the story allegedly goes like this. He was dating this one chick, you know, poster on IG, whatever. She was at the NFL draft with him when he got drafted. I guess he ended up cutting things off, if I'm not mistaken. He broke up with her back in January of this year, and one of his best friends from BYU, I don't know his name. What's his name? His name is Dax Milne or or Milne. I'm not sure. But he is a he's a current wide receiver on the Washington Commanders. Okay, so it was his former best friend from BYU, right? They they apparently they had a you know very good friendship, whatever, whatever. After the breakup, Dax he posted a picture of him and this girl on his Instagram. A romantic picture by the seaside. A, yeah, a romantic picture, yup. And people ended up figuring it out and they were like, you know, why are you with your your best friend's ex? Like whatever, mm-hmm. whatever. And so people have been going to her Instagram and essentially commenting things like homie hopper. Mm-hmm. Into which she replied, he was sleeping with his mom's best friend. That's the real homie hopper. Mm. Laughing face. She's accusing him of cheating on her with his mom's best friend. Mm-hmm. This situation is just out of control. It's absolutely out of control, but it does make me respect Zach Wilson a little bit more. You know, I just sort of looked at him as like this super innocent kid. Uh, sort of a product of his weird mom who like, you know, markets him and, and just she she gives off super weird vibes. So, yeah, no, she's weird as shit. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I didn't really know what to think of, of Zach Wilson, but the fact that behind the scenes he he's smashing his mom's friends definitely moves him up the quarterback rankings. I, I respect him for that at the very least. <laughs> <laughs> and and when well, I, how how far is he moving up though? Top twelve, I would say, right? Yeah, I, th- I think that's pretty fair. I mean, you're fucking smashing, you know, forty year olds on the daily basis, and you're uh, twenty two years old, and you play for you know one of the most prominent franchises in in sports. Yeah, I, I think you definitely have to move up the ranks a little bit. But what a funny situation. It is interesting. I mean, she really she really seems like uh the the villain in this scenario though. No, I mean, she goes straight to his college best friend and and roommate, starts smashing him and then puts all of his business out there. To me that just makes this story, you know, 100% factual. You know, she's behaving like a a person who is hurt. So, yeah. I believe I believe her and that she found this out and you know i i don't know if i agree with her method of uh retaliation though yeah i mean you know we we just we live in a fucked up generation mm. especially for us younger people uh this generation is just shot when it comes to dating social media i think is 
really the main cause of all of these problems in the dating world. And she's definitely being made out to be the villain in the situation. Obviously, it's fucked up that, you know, his best friend is sleeping with his ex. Because I think that's just an absolute no-go. Yeah, that's Especially if they... Yeah, like... You know, okay, if you guys smash the same girl, fuck it. Who cares? But, you know, I don't want my best friend dating my ex of two or three or four years, however long they were together. I don't know. But so I think they're both pretty shady. The rumors are true. I think they're all pretty fucked up. I mean, nothing (laughs) about what she said, like, was her direct accusation that he cheated on her? Because if so, then he's in the wrong. But if he just, you know, hooked up with his mom's best friend, like, what's, what's wrong with that? You know, yeah. if my mom yeah. had hot front, I mean, I don't want to say anything, but <laughs> yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right. She didn't accuse him of cheating. She just accused him of milf hunting. Yeah. Um, and I mean, and there's I absolutely, it. absolutely nothing wrong with milf hunting in your early twenties. It's the prime time to do it. I've done it. Yeah. She, like you said, she's just coming from, from a place of hurt. She she probably feels some type of way that he ended things. You go from the starting quarterback of the New York Jets, who was the second overall pick, making millions of dollars, to a practice squad player that's going to be out of the NFL in a year. I mean, you would feel like you downgraded too a little bit, no? That's a pretty big L. That is a massive L for her. Yeah. So so she's definitely she's definitely hurt, and she feels some type of way for sure. But like at the end of the day, like she deserves it. Mm. So. You know, hurt people, hurt people. That is what they say. Hurt people, hurt people. I mean, my final thoughts on the situation and, you know, just coming firsthand from experience, can't trust anybody. All right. Well, well said. Actually, there is one one, one thing that you can trust, and that's our running back ranking. All right. Mm. And, and that is something that you can take it to the bank, put your hard-earned dollars on, because we put a lot of time into crafting these running back rankings to be perfection to help you win all the money in these best ball tournaments and and let's start off right at the top where i i think you're coming in with a bit of a hot take we talked about this maybe a month ago we we went pick by pick in the first round on a podcast and discussed everybody jt was both of our consensus 101s yet as we debut our rankings joey you have made the switch christian mccaffrey now is your running back one jt your running back two is this all the baker mayfield effect pushing cmc up to rb1 overall for you i mean it definitely helps having an upgraded quarterback in carolina and i think just for me personally the reason why i have cmc over jonathan taylor is the pass catching upside you know we could go over all of the stats that help support cmc and just what he does as a pass catcher right he averaged 5.9 targets per game last year fourth best in the nfl tied with austin eckler and right behind deandre swift and leonard fournette had 41 targets in what six games so when this dude is healthy and obviously we're not predicting injuries when he's healthy and if he plays the full year he is going to lead the nfl in targets at the running back position he's going to lead the nfl in catches at the running back position and he's going to score touchdowns because he's ultimately just a good player so for that reason super high ceiling as a pass catcher i think he is the correct 101 whereas jt you know he averaged 22 points per game which was second best in the league last year obviously finished as the running back one overall he had to score 20 touchdowns just to average 22 points per game Mm -hmm. right 
in 2020, obviously small sample size, but CMC in three games averaged 30.1 points in 2020. And obviously very, very small sample size. 2019 averaged 29.5 PPR points per game and outscored the second highest running back by 160 points. So the upside in the ceiling with Christian McCaffrey is just way too high, in my opinion, to not have him as the 101. And we all know that touchdowns are just pure variance, or or a lot of it can be attributed to variance, I should say. Obviously, JT is in a position where he's probably going to score more touchdowns than every other running back. But if he loses five or four touchdowns, like he's not finishing as the RB1 overall this year. So just for those reasons, I would have CMC as the number one overall player in fantasy football. And if he stays healthy, I, I think he I think he'll smash, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, nothing you can argue when it comes to the ceiling of Christian McCaffrey. I don't think that any other running back in the league has the the ceiling that McCaffrey does. So I get it. You know, I totally get it. I think Jonathan Taylor is a lot safer. Maybe that's just recency bias due to how unavailable McCaffrey's been really over the past two seasons. But Taylor, to me, is a stone cold, just safe pick. Like they have a fantastic offensive line. They get a quarterback upgrade, but they still don't have the pass catching talent to really shift philosophies. This still should be a run first team. Jonathan Taylor should still have an incredibly elite workload and while yeah the touchdowns are fluky I just don't see them coming down too far this is still a team that you know should be one of the better teams in that division and just be feeding Jonathan Taylor and positive game scripts against teams like Houston and Jacksonville all year long I I love Jonathan Taylor I believe that these guys are definitely the correct one and two in terms of running back rankings and I'm not looking at anybody sideways if they opt to go CMC for me all offseason long it's just been a matter of in best ball specifically of exposure and, you know, just taking Jonathan Taylor where you can get him because CMC can fall to two or three and that just doesn't happen with Taylor. So to me, I'm just trying to level my exposure and take Taylor first whenever I have the first overall pick. But, you know, in terms of range of outcomes, I think they're relatively similar with a higher ceiling for CMC and a higher floor for Taylor. So all good with the first two. Austin Eckler is the consensus running back three. He is both of our running back threes. Not too much, I think, needs to be said about Eckler. He has an elite role, very little competition for work in that backfield, elite offense, pass-catching upside, phenomenal red zone threat. I mean, what do we need to say about Austin Eckler, really? Not much. I mean, you said it all, so. Love Eckler. Dalvin Cook is our running back four. Both of us have Cook ranked at four. That's a little bit above consensus. In underdog drafts, he's going as the running back five. What is it about Cook that's got you bullish on him this year? Yeah, I just think that in terms of talent, he's one of the most talented running backs in the NFL. I think just in terms of overall offensive environment with the upgrade and coaching going from Mike Zimmer, who was just a stone donkey for the last few seasons, to Kevin O'Connell, who might bring some innovation to the offense. He could potentially, you know, open up the offense just in terms of pass attempts and getting the ball to Dalvin Cook in space out of the backfield. So I think we could see Dalvin Cook have a ton of targets this year. And ultimately, I just think him as a player, he has a ton of volume upside. I think he's one of the few workhorses left 
in the NFL. Obviously, durability concerns are the main question mark for Delvin Cook, and they have been since he's ever came into the NFL, as he's pretty much been a lock to miss three to four games. But if he could stay healthy this year, I think he's in the best situation yet in his entire career, and I think he's in line to see monster opportunity on a team that realistically could put up a ton of points because they have a very good offense for those reasons that's why I have Delvin Cook as high as I do yeah I mean Cook had a down year last year especially in the touchdown department only scoring six compared to 16 in 2020 13 in 2019 that could definitely shift back in Dalvin Cook's favor this year. And I think that Cook could have one of his better years as a receiver if they do shift pass happy because they're not going to be taking him off the field for like Amir Abdullah. Like, yeah. I, I don't see that happening at all. So I, I think Cook is, you know, really in good shape to have a strong year. And the offensive environment is really strong. I mean, I think the Vikings are the favorite in that division. So, you know, just a, another thing for Cook, you know, he averaged. 15.9 PPR points per game last year, but his expected fantasy points was 19.2. So a difference of 3.3, which was second highest in the NFL behind Cam Akers last year. Mm. So if that kind of swings back positively for Cook in terms of you know his expected PPR points, he could be back up there with the top running backs in, in terms of points per game. And I think just the overall ceiling of the offense is extremely high this year. Speaking of high ceilings, Derrick Henry. He's a guy that I've been pretty trigger shy on in drafts, and maybe that's a mistake. Maybe I'm not factoring in just the fact that he is a different breed. He, he's just a different it's that breed. Sim- it's honestly that simple, bro. Right? I mean, th- there's just nobody who does what Derrick Henry does. And you can and you can talk yourself into the Titans being a worse team this year and, and Derrick Henry having a lot of tread on the tires and Derrick Henry coming off of an injury. But this man had 10 touchdowns, almost 1,000 yards in eight games last year. He was far and away the running back one in points per game before he went down at the midpoint last season, was averaging over two more points than Jonathan Taylor on a per-game basis. I don't know, bro. Like... He, he's just not human. He, he, he never has been. He's a machine. Yeah. And, you know, in terms in terms of tread, like his first two years, he didn't play much. Like he averaged about like 115 attempts per season in those first two years. And then, you know, they got rid of Deion Lewis. That was when they were running that duo. Uh, and then they gave the reins to Derrick Henry. And besides last year, the, the previous two years, he went over 300 attempts, but he was on pace for what 440 attempts last year yep uh before his before his injury on pace for 2000 plus yards and 20 plus touchdowns and yeah i just think that you know trying to predict fall offs can be bad he's still only 28 years old and i think he's still the focal point of the offense with really nothing behind them in terms of competition they let Foreman walk so they have Hassan Haskins as their RB2 he shouldn't factor in much it's so dumb but he literally is just a different breed bro it's it's that simple for me the the man scores fantasy points and he was on pace to have his best season as a pass catcher as well and I think with the loss of AJ Brown I think we could definitely see Derrick Henry have that same pace that he had last season because at the end of the day you just want to get the ball to your 
best players in any way. And if you give this man Derrick Henry a screen, there's a good chance he's breaking it for a 80-yard touchdown. Oh, so. I mean, without a doubt. And, and last year, like, we can't even really understate. It's not like he's suddenly going to become Christian McCaffrey or Austin Eckler in the passing game, but like 2019 and 15 games, he had 18 catches. Last week, last year, he had the same amount of catches in eight games, and, and his career yeah. high is 19. He finished with 18 last year in eight games. So, like, he could double his career high pretty easily, especially post AJ Brown as, as a pass catcher. Yeah. And, you know, Derrick Henry came out and said that he's he's super motivated to prove the doubters wrong. Uh, that's all and, you need and, to say as and far he's as ready, I'm And he's ready to go. And he said the foot injury's behind him, and he says he feels real good. All right, Derrick Henry, RB5, you convinced me. Let's keep the hot takes going. Aaron Jones is our running back six. And we've talked mm-hmm. about this at multiple points throughout the offseason. It, it's really just a factor of Aaron Jones is the best player pass catcher on the Packers right now I think that he is in line to have easily his best season as a receiver I think he's going to be the you know stone cold go-to option for Aaron Rodgers in the red zone I think they're going to rush the ball more in the red zone and Aaron Jones can split out wide and catch touchdown passes as well he's one of the best at Mm -hmm. it in the NFL at the running back position I don't know I mean the Packers need to figure out what they're going to be doing in terms of pass catchers. And while they do, I think Aaron Jones is going to be the default option. So at running back six, I I think that he has a ceiling above that. Currently going as the running back nine, Aaron Jones is going to be one of my highest on running backs when it's all said and done. I can't get enough uh, Aaron Jones this year. Yeah, I love Aaron Jones this year for all the reasons that you mentioned. He had 65 targets last year, which was, you know, top seven. In the NFL, he was top 12 in Whopper, which is target percentage and uh, air yard percentage combined uh, for each team. That was higher than, you know, some players like David Montgomery, Saquon Barkley, some guys that, you know, play well in the past game, uh, J.D. McKissick. I think that Aaron Jones is just going to see a ton of opportunity through the air. Like you said, he's the best pass catcher on the team. He was second in the NFL in terms of uh, receiving touchdowns for running backs last year. And I think we could see him, you know, score seven to eight receiving touchdowns this year with the Packers having, I think, one of the worst receiver cores in the NFL. Obviously, I think that depends on potential signings or whether or not Christian Watson works out but as it stands right now it's very uninspiring and I think that they're just going to have to get Aaron Jones more involved in the offense without Devontae Adams there you know being the the go-to guy and Aaron Jones is the main beneficiary in my opinion of the Devontae Adams trade and we we, we've talked about this all offseason so we're all over it and I think it makes a ton of sense. I want to put him higher. I just can't justify it over guys who are probably going to see a hundred more touches than him just because AJ Dillon yeah. will be a factor. But man, I mean, on a week to week basis, his ceiling is just stupid. So I, yeah. I, can't, I love Aaron Jones. After that, our, our rankings start to get more different from this point on seven and eight. We both have DeAndre Swift and Najee Harris. You have Swift at seven. I have Harris at seven. With these two guys, I, I could see it going either way. I just think that Najee's touch projection is so much higher than DeAndre Swift's that even while I believe that Swift will have a better receiving line and I like his ceiling for sure to me Najee Harris could lead the league in touches this year and and 
I mean, at RB7 for me, I, I think that you're getting some good value on him. I'm still a little bit lower than consensus. He's going as the running back six on underdog. I've made the case before that I think Najee Harris could be top five, and, and I do think he could. It's just his ceiling is a little bit lower than guys like Henry and Cook and, and Jones. He doesn't have that explosiveness per se. He's not going to bust yeah. off an 80-yard run the way that Derrick Henry can anytime he touches the ball. But I, but the, the volume for Najee is unquestionable. And, you know, that that's definitely fair. Who knows? I, I might move Najee up over DeAndre Swift uh, just because the, the volume is definitely more guaranteed with Najee. I mean, both teams definitely have like offensive environment concerns, right? Both running backs have pass catching upside. That's for sure. But I think with the Steelers losing Ben Roethlisberger to retirement, obviously, you know, how is that going to impact the way the offense is ran? Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think Mitch and Kenny Pickett are definitely more capable of moving the ball down the field in terms of chunk plays. Uh, so they won't necessarily need to feed Deontay Johnson and Najee Harris as, you know, the the short intermediate uh, guys in, in the offense in terms of the targets. Will Najee Harris see 94 targets again? I'm not sure. But I just think from a pass catching upside, I think DeAndre Swift is better. I think DeAndre Swift is more explosive. DeAndre Swift had 16 less targets in four less games than Najee and you know, had one less touchdown and 17 less yards in in, in a four less game. So I just think from a pass catching perspective, I think DeAndre Swift is a little bit better, had a higher uh, target percentage by quite a bit. Uh, DeAndre Swift was at 18%. Najee was at 14%. DeAndre Swift was third in the NFL uh, in terms of target percentage at the running back position. And ultimately, I just think he's more talented and I think he's more explosive and he can give you those chunk plays that you want in those long touchdowns, whereas, you know, you kind of said it perfectly, Najee Harris just doesn't have that explosive element, in my opinion, and it's like, really, for the for the Najee Harris uh, ceiling games, you're going to need like a ton of volume, like 25, 30 touches out of him, whereas DeAndre Swift, I think, can can get you there pretty easily with like 15 touches. So I just like the ceiling a little bit better on DeAndre Swift, but I think Najee's floor is definitely safer, but I I prefer Swift. Yeah, I mean, I just, I want to be high on a rookie that came into a pretty bad offensive situation and had 380 touches and, you know, did well with them. Um, I think that he has room to get better if this offense gets better. So these guys are super comparable to me. I want to have exposure to both of them. I'm probably higher on Swift just because of his his price um you know he's a second round pick Najee's a first round pick even though they're going back to back in the rankings Swift is going five picks later so I I do probably have more Swift between the two I've got Fournette at nine Uh, I'm a little bit higher on him than the consensus I'm higher on him than you you've got Fournette at 12 and to me it's just the situation is so good and and you want to talk about pass catching upside Fournette definitely has it He was the running back four in points per game last year in full PPR. We're in a situation where we don't know what Chris Godwin's status is. We think that he's unlikely to start the year healthy. So targets are really going to be consolidated, I think, for the Bucs around Mike Evans, Russell Gage, and Leonard Fournette. He's just a workhorse to me. I mean, Rashad White could be a factor. I don't think he's going to be any more of a factor than Ronald Jones was last year. They gave Fournette an extension, 21 million, three years. He's their guy. He has a good connection with Brady and 
as we know, and as has been the case for the last decade, Tom Brady's pass catching running back is an extremely valuable role in, in yeah. the NFL, especially in an elite offense like this Bucks offense is right now. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with all your points. Like you said, I have him at 12 just because I do prefer a couple of players above Fournette just because I think they are more talented and they're in similar situations for significant opportunity but the only thing i will say about fournette maybe this is just like galaxy braining and you know it goes against the numbers it's just kind of like a a intuition feel thing he's the type of player that will disappoint you when his price is as high as it's ever been it's also an even year yes that too this is the (laughs) hard-hitting fantasy analysis that people listen for (laughs) My gut intuition plus even year equals fade Leonard Fournette. I I don't know. I think just the the first thing, the gut feeling, the intuition. You know, I mean he he's been a he's been a top pick before in fantasy football, so I shouldn't say it's his highest price ever. But you know, last year everybody was off Fournette. Fournette was done. Blah blah. He goes out, proves everybody wrong. Now everybody's back in on Fournette. It just feels like he's going to have a down year for some reason. It just feels like he's going to fuck everybody at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Maybe he doesn't, and you know he puts together uh, back-to-back good years. But I don't know. I just think he's that type of player where it's like him and James Conner, to be honest. I, I think I'm glad you just said I was going to say let's jump around the rankings a little bit because like on that same topic, James Conner is 100% going to bust this year. Like I have <laughs> They no- <laughs> are the two players where when everybody's on them, they will bust. And that's my take for 2022. But not because of the numbers or anything. It's just gut. So it's like, can you you can't really rank based off your gut because they're going to see opportunity. But it, it'll just be funny if it works out like that. I mean, dude, James Conner could be like running back eight if we were just projecting him off the numbers. But there's just something in my soul that won't let me do it. You know, I want to move him down further and further because I know I just know he's not going to come out and replicate what he did last year. He's just not that guy. Yeah, it's honestly that simple for me. But, uh, you know, others might disagree. And James Conner, James Conner, I have as my RB14. So I have him outside of, you know, an RB1. So I have him as a high-end RB2. On underdog, he's currently going as the RB14. So actually, I'm pretty in line with uh, the ADP there. But yeah, I I don't have much James Conner. The numbers say he's a good draft pick and you should be taking him, and he, he's going to have a lot of opportunity and touchdown upside. I, I don't know. Just for some reason, I can't do it in the third round. I, I'd rather take a wide receiver. This is why we don't get any respect, bro, on, on the in best ball Twitter because we have player takes, you know? We, that is we, true. We look, at, not... we look at people, and we see the, the fact that he doesn't have it in him as a man. He doesn't have that dog in him, and, you know, we react accordingly. And, and you know, that's a big no-no. We should just be going straight by the projections, apparently. That's what all the people who haven't actually won tournaments tell me, but what do I know? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you're not fucking wrong. That's the thing. Damn. You're not wrong. Did I, did I say that out loud? Um, all right. Let's not get too ahead of ourselves. Uh, we we're talking about Connor, but we, there are a couple guys that we haven't touched on yet. Still guys who are finishing out the second round, like Joe Mixon. Saquon Barkley you're a little bit higher on Barkley than consensus if I'm not mistaken you've got him as your RB 10 and you've sort of been on the Barkley bounce back all offseason yeah I mean his current ADP on underdog is RB 10 so I think I'm in line in line with ADP in terms of expert consensus 
I'm a little bit above if we're looking at the ECR for or from fantasy pros. But yeah, I just think that he's a very talented running back that has proven production and a proven ceiling in the NFL. He's two years removed from his ACL injury, fully healthy, ready to go in the best situation of his career in Brian Dable as as the head coach I think that the head coaching upgrade is significant and I think he could be one of you know the few running backs in the NFL to see 300 plus touches if he stays healthy for the entire season and he's obviously a factor in the passing game as well you know he was top 10 in terms of targets per game at the running back position last year averaged 4.4 had 57 targets I think his just overall upside as as a player is extremely high so I want to be high on Saquon Barkley and like I said what I think is the best situation of his career yep uh no no real arguments there Joe Mixon is a guy that you've got ranked at nine I've got him at 10 his ADP is seven so both of us are lower on Mixon than consensus you know his workload isn't really a question he should still be towards the top of the league in touches when it's all said and done he's attached to an elite offense in Cincinnati the only down factor I think with Mixon and it's one that you know I I heavily weight when I rank him is that his role just changed a lot down the stretch mm-hmm. last year like he was getting the touches but the Bengals made a concerted effort to reduce his role on third downs he went from averaging 5.3 third down snaps in the first six weeks to only 1.8 for the final nine games and if that trend continues and they you know get Evans or P Ryan more involved on third downs it could just really limit what he does as a pass catcher I just think he doesn't have the pass catching ceiling that really any of the guys that are going in this range do swift Najee, fournette etc but he still has a lot of week-to-week touchdown upside yeah just do mike davis out targeted joe mixon last year yeah exactly mike fucking davis he's just not going to be utilized that way even if it's within his skill set so he's like almost like a josh jacobs-esque type of role on a way better offense. So I I think he has value. I don't want to say he doesn't have value, but it's just hard to pull the trigger when there are guys in the range who could have 50 more catches at his position than him. But, but the thing is, is like Josh Jacobs role changed last year. That's, that's the thing. So he doesn't even have that role. Josh Jacobs was top 10 in the NFL in targets at the running back position with, with 64. And he was fourth in the NFL in catches. So like, that's not even like that good of a comparison, to be honest. True. Like he just he's just not playing in the passing game. Like you said, his role completely changed. Um and and I think I credit to that to them just they were just winning games, you know? Right. They they were up winning games and they were just bleeding the clock, feeding Joe Mixon. Like he was top three in terms of touches at the running back position, but he was twenty he was twenty seventh in terms of targets. So the pass catching upside I think is very limited, but the overall opportunity and the overall offensive efficiency is going to be so high that you still have to rank him in the top ten. But I but I think the ceiling could definitely be limited and I, th- I think he's going to be like a guy that you need to score two touchdowns in a game for him to, you know, realize his ceiling in any given week. Yeah, so maybe a better comparison wouldn't be Josh Jacobs. It would be the guy that I've got ranked right after Joe Mixon, which is Nick Chubb. I have Chubb at 11. You have him at 13. We're sort of right in the middle of where his ADP is. He's at 12. I think that Chubb's sort of the same way. Like Chubb is even, I think, a better actual runner than Joe Mixon. It's just... 
he's never going to be utilized as a pass catcher. And they have a lot of other talented backs. We also don't know the offensive situation. You know, this team could, you know, range anywhere from having a top five offense to a bottom five offense, you know, pending Deshaun Watson news. So it's it's hard right now to, to rank Nick Chubb. That being said, I do think that there is a year out there. Maybe it's this year, maybe it's next year where Nick Chubb could just have that Derrick Henry year. I think he's a talented enough player that he could just go nuclear and rush for like 1800 yards. Like I think that that's possible for Nick Chubb. I definitely think it's in the range for sure. Obviously, it'll be tough with the offensive environment this year, especially if Deshaun Watson is suspended the whole season or suspended for eight games or however many. And Kareem Hunt is still there, who is the best quote unquote backup running back in the NFL, right? Right. Like Kareem Hunt's a starting running back on what? 20 out of the 30 NFL 32 NFL teams for sure I yeah I think he's a I think he's a top 12 top 15 talent at the running back position so you still have him there which obviously hurts Nick Chubb's ceiling in general but I think that without Watson they will have to rely on these running backs early in the season and pretty often so I could definitely see Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt having, you know, kind of monster opportunity early in the season. And then if they get Watson back, you know, they, they can go and play how, the, how they want to on offense. But I, I just, I don't know if I'm buying into Nick Chubb this year with just the concerns of the offense and the running backs that they have on the team as well. And he's not going to play in the passing game. Uh, only 25 targets last year in 13 games not great and you really just need to get there on touchdowns and ultimately at the end of the day I don't want to bet on players scoring touchdowns when it's all said and done Alvin Kamara is a player that we both have in this range as well we've talked about Kamara at length it's just hard right now to rank him but the upside we know is there we're just waiting on suspension news with Alvin Kamara yeah and I actually saw a thread from this fellow on Twitter, I don't have his at, which is unfortunate, but I read his thread and he, he's like a, a lawyer or whatever. And his prediction is that Alvin Kamara doesn't get suspended this year because the case gets pushed back because the case gets pushed back until the season is over. Mm-hmm. So I think right now at Kamara's current ADP, which Obviously, this is a ranking show, but his his ADP right now is running back. Yeah, his ADP right now is running back 15 at 33.8. So the third round, I think everybody listening to this should be buying Camaro right now. It's his lowest price of the season. Obviously, you know, God forbid a, a suspension does come and he, and he gets suspended. His ADP will drop, but there's a very good chance that he doesn't get suspended. And for that reason, I have him currently as the RB11. So I'm a little bit higher than consensus on Camara. You know, I, I may move him up in the next few weeks if we don't get any news. And he's not going to get suspended until at least August. So, yep, that is true. So I think the buying window remains open for Alvin Kamara. You gotta, you just gotta buy in these tournaments that are dropping and are filling, especially on Underdog. Yep, definitely. I mean, hammer in the puppy. It's only going to be open yeah. for a week or two. So, yeah. 
We have the same running backs, 15 and 16 in Javante Williams and Cam Akers. This was a tough one for me to to rank because I think that Cam Akers outright projects for more touches. You know, I think Cam Akers is going to be a full-blown workhorse to start the season. The only concern is whether or not he can get back some of the efficiency he has a, he had as a rookie opposed to last year where it was just, you know, horrible coming off of an injury that he probably should have waited a little bit longer to recover from before touching the field, but the Rams showed as soon as Akers was back that he is their guy. They want to feed him a full workload. And I mean, God, if Akers gets a full workload, he should be higher. I mean, he should be an RB1, right? Like if we actually project Akers for like a 20 touch per game sort of workload on this Rams offense with a little bit of pass catching upside, Akers could be a smash at, you know, a mid-range RB2 price tag. Yeah. I mean, I've been lower on Cam Akers for sure than maybe some other people in, in the past. I think the opportunity will definitely be there. I don't know if the pass catching upside is there with Cam Akers, especially with Daryl Henderson there, who was very solid in the passing game. And the last time we saw the Rams play with, you know, their entire backfield healthy was in the Super Bowl and Daryl Henderson was the preferred pass down back. So I don't know if that is going to continue into 2022. It's definitely well within the range of outcomes. And I definitely think that we just don't know if he will ever be the same player he was before the Achilles injury. It's still the worst injury for a player to suffer, like period. I think at like any position. So for those reasons, I am a little skeptical of Cam Akers. And I just think that Javante Williams is a better player in general. And I think the offensive upsides are very similar with the Rams and the Broncos. And I think the touchdown upside is very similar. And I think they're in similar situations in terms of their backfield counterparts. So for me, the the tiebreaker between them and my rankings was, was just talent. And, you know, obviously Javante Williams is a very talented player and he also doesn't have to recover from a torn Achilles. So... And Javante is the preferred pass catcher between him and Gordon as well, which is another yeah. reason that I think gives the slight edge to Javante. I mean, Javante is like theoretically going to see fewer touches than a lot of the guys that we have him ranked ahead of guys. I think like Akers, David Montgomery, Brees Hall. Even maybe Elijah Mitchell could have a, a bigger workload or at least a bigger percentage of his team's touches than Javante. But at the same time, Javante on a week to week basis does have the upside. I think it's well within his range to fully displace Melvin Gordon, you know, rather than it be a dead even 50 50 split. It could be a, you know, 70 30 split at, at this point. I mean, Javante is a rising superstar. It would not shock me to see him outproduce RB15. And if you get him going at the right time of the year, he could be a league winner. And Cam Akers is a a running back who's coming off a torn Achilles, you know, just about a year ago now. Yeah, so I think it makes sense for us both to have Javante ranked above Acres. Next up, we've got this tier of guys like ETN, David Montgomery, Brees Hall. We have them in different orders. I'm actually surprised that you have Brees all the way down at running back 19, but that's directly in line with ADP. So I guess you're not lower on him. And I'm a little bit higher. I have him directly after Acres at RB17. I just think that he has the ability to be one of the highest touch running backs in the league. Like he could be a full workhorse. I think in other years in the NFL draft, that's not so rich with wide receivers. Brees Hall a first round pick and I, I just think that he has a ton of upside much like Najee Harris did last year albeit on a bad offense to just dominate in touches on a week-to-week -week basis yeah no I, I definitely agree obviously 
He's a rookie coming in. He has a very good prospect profile. His best comparable is Jonathan Taylor. Uh, so this is a this is a player that can definitely come in and produce immediately at the NFL level. I just haven't found myself drafting much of him because of just where he's going in drafts. So it's kind of in that running back dead zone. But I think he could definitely be going higher uh, in drafts. You know, he has a 95th percentile college dominator. So this is like the running back that out of this range that I think you do want to bet on. Mm-hmm. The only thing that really just concerns me is the pass catching upside. You know, I'm not saying he can't do it, but they do have Michael Carter there who had 62 targets last year. You know, top, he was 11th in targets in the NFL in terms of running backs. And, you know, does Brees Hall take over that role from Michael Carter? I don't know if he does. So just for those reasons, I think he could be kind of a touchdown dependent RB2 on a weekly basis with limited pass catching upside. And those are the kind of guys that I want to stay away from. In terms of Brees Hall as a player and a talent, he is a guy that I think you do want to be betting on, especially as a rookie. And we know that we know that the rookies get better as the season goes on. Yeah, and a quietly improving offensive line for the Jets. I think that there's a lot to like about Brees Hall. He he's a perfect pick, I think, if you start with, you know, three running backs or, you know, you take a super early quarterback for a stack and you come back and get Brees Hall as your RB1. I think he could do well. I feel sort of the same way about guys like Montgomery and ETN. Obviously, ETN sort of an interesting case study where it's his second year, but it's going to be his first time actually playing as he missed all of his rookie year. He has a ton of pass catching upside. He's got chemistry with Trevor Lawrence already from college. I I like ETN a lot. It's just always hard for me to pull the trigger on a running back that's completely unproven as high as he's going. I mean, he's going as the running back 16 on a bad offense with potentially James Robinson returning. I don't know. What what are your thoughts on ETN right now? Yeah, I think that like, I don't know if I really like the unproven argument because Brees Hall's unproven Fair. at the NFL level. Fair. And I just think that there's going to be a ton of opportunity available for ETN in that backfield with James Robinson recovering from an Achilles injury. And who knows if he ever comes back in is is the same running back. So ETN just has a lot of upside and potential opportunity this year on an upgraded offense from a coaching standpoint. Now that Doug Peterson is there and, you know, you said he has chemistry with Trevor Lawrence. They played together at Clemson and I, I don't, I don't mind ETN. He's, he's definitely been one of like the top risers over the last month or two in fantasy at the running back position. Uh, so his cost is getting up there and I don't really have much of him at his current ADP, but I think he's a fine pick and I think he's going to factor in very heavily in the receiving game for uh, the Jags. And I, I think we will be playing ETN quite a bit early in the season in DFS. Could definitely see that. God, I, I do miss the early days of uh, this best ball offseason when ETN was a free fifth round pick. Just yeah. literally every draft, just smash that value. Um, yeah. But those days are unfortunately done. He is He's a third <laughs> round pick now. All right, getting to the end here, we've got David Montgomery, Elijah Mitchell, Zeke Elliott sort of closing out the tier of guys that I think can be natural workhorses without injury. I think that this is the last tier of guys that are, you know, actually going to be the RB1s on their teams solidified 
guaranteed workloads without any sort of thing breaking their way. How do you feel about these guys? These are sort of, you know, thick of the RB dead zone type players. I mean, Zeke is a guy that I haven't touched at all. Uh, Elijah Mitchell is going significantly later than all of these guys, which I think makes um, him sort of my favorite pick of the group. Like Elijah Mitchell's going at 64 compared to Zeke at 40. And I think that they're really comparable players uh, at this point. So, I mean, how are you looking at this tier of guys? Are you making exceptions for them in the RB dead zone for the potential volume? Or is it, you know, hands off? target wide receivers in this range yeah throughout my draft so far this offseason it's it's really been hands off for Mm -hmm. me I don't have much of Josh Jacobs or David Montgomery at all I I might have actually zero shares of both across Mm -hmm. every site no bullshit besides maybe an auto draft JK Dobbins very similar to me and yeah I think this is just a tier of the dead zone that I kind of want to stay away from and, you know, focus on getting some wide receivers in that range, kind of like, you know, Darnell Mooney, Rashad Bateman, Adam Thielen, et cetera. Uh, maybe a quarterback like Kyler or Jalen Hurts is definitely the way that I'm approaching drafts right now. And I think that ultimately the volume will be there. Like you said, they will have volume. I just think that their ceilings on a week to week basis are so touchdown reliant that I just don't want any parts and then you factor into account David Montgomery's on the Bears Josh Jacobs is going to be in a three-way timeshare probably most likely J.K. Dobbins isn't even going to be ready for week one most likely and he's going to be in a three-way share so these dudes are going to have a little bit of opportunity they're going to need touchdowns to get there and they're competing with two to three other players on their offense for touches it's just a hands-off situation for me i want no parts yeah and i mean i really struggle with ranking like a handful of these guys like as i have it right now in my first initial run of rankings like as we get past zeke and david montgomery like i have aj Dillon and and tony pollard ahead of guys like antonio gibson and miles sanders and jk dobbins like like you said like all of these guys are going to be in three-way splits and while yeah they're probably like better surface picks they have better floor projections the way that i am drafting i'm just not going to be taking these guys ahead of guys that i think have actual league winning potential like dylan and pollard that's how i have it ranked and that's how i go and handle it in the drafts like i will completely skip over this tier of dobbins and, and Jacobs and Gibson because I think Pollard and Dylan are better picks at better values. So I, I don't know. It's it's difficult to rank those guys that clearly have better touch projections, but their ceiling outcomes are just not high. Plain and simple. Yeah, I I definitely agree. And like for me, I don't even have Antonio Gibson in my top twenty four. Neither do I. Which he's going as the RB twenty five on underdog, but like the expert consensus rankings have him as the RB twenty. Right, They have Zeke as the RB17. We both have Zeke as our RB21. So if we're just looking at like the majority fantasy industries rankings, like we're very different and, you know, we're lower on these types of players. And I think just in general, the the consensus in the community is, uh, is always just a little too high on these guys like Antonio Gibson and Josh Jacobs and, and Dobbins and whatnot for whatever reason. I'm just drafting none of them, and I just don't see how they win you your league, to be honest, especially with the players that they're going around that I mentioned before. And I have CEH as my RB24, actually. CEH is you know going a, l- a little bit later than where I have him ranked. He's the RB28. You said Pollard. He's the RB27 on underdog. But just in terms of where they're going, they're going in like the eighth round. And that's the time where you want to be targeting running backs again. 
historically. So they just fit perfectly into how I want to build teams. And that's pretty much how I have it ranked as well. And, you know, I, I would have Dylan and Pollard right there as my RB, you know, 25, 26, and, and maybe might even move them up above some of the guys that I currently have ranked in, in the low 20s. Yep, I, I think that that's probably a really good decision. I mean, there's just no justification, in my opinion, for taking guys like Antonio Gibson and Miles Sanders, you know, bad no. offenses, no real pass catching upside and even if they do they're fighting with other accomplished pass catching running backs in their own backfield you know gibson with mckissick sanders with gainwell i would rather just take shots on guys that can win you the league if things break right like i.e tony yeah. pollard i.e aj Dillon, and then even clyde edwards hilaire going behind those guys makes no sense he's in a way better offense and even with Ronald Jones there, who I'm high on, you know, should completely dominate the pass catching rollout of the backfield at the best price tag CEH has ever had. So I don't yeah. know. A lot of this ADP stuff doesn't make sense for me when it comes to the way these running backs are sorted out. Yeah. And it's like with Josh Jacobs and Antonio Gibson and David Montgomery and Elijah Mitchell, they're they're not horrible, right? Like they're going to get you your, your 14 points. But you're, you're just never going to get those 30-plus point games out of those guys. Whereas the wide receivers in that range, I think you can very easily get those out of you know guys like Darnell Mooney in that, mm-hmm. in that range. So just for that reason, they're just floor picks. And it's, it's really just all about how you want to draft. And in these top-heavy best ball tournaments, I think that they are just bad picks especially when you're looking for ceiling outcomes. Now in redraft, I think, okay, that's fine. You know, top six make the playoffs in in redraft, right? In some of these tournaments, only one team advances out of the 12 round one. Mm-hmm. So like you you need to hit at every position and, and hit, hit your ceiling. And Josh Jacobs and Gibson and J.K. Dobbins and Elijah Mitchell and you know even Zeke, like they're just going to give you 14 to 15 points on average. And that's good, but it's not great. That's not what I want out of a fourth or fifth round pick. Well said. I, I couldn't say it better myself. I think we take an intermission here and come back on Wednesday to hammer out the rest of the running backs that need to be discussed. That was a good discussion on the top 24. Like I said, at the top of the podcast, you can go back and look at our quarterback rankings episode, which came out last week. We will be back on Wednesday to continue this discussion. And that is going to be it for episode 229 of the DFS Dose podcast. Make sure you guys follow us on Twitter at the DFS Dose, as well as our personal Twitters. I'm at Ben Hover. Joey's at Joey Carrion DFS. If you guys want to connect with us and stay up to date with what's going on on the podcast, you can join our inner circle via the free link to our Discord channel. You can find that in the show notes to the podcast. To everybody listening out there, we appreciate you. We value you. Until next time, let's stay accountable and keep it authentic. Vibes.